You're listening to Decisive Point. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. My guest today is Dr. Brian McAllister Lynn, author of A Historical Perspective on Today's Recruiting Crisis, which was published in the Autumn 2023 issue of Parameters. Lynn is a professor of history and the Ralph R. Thomas Class of 1921 professor in liberal arts at Texas A&M University. Welcome back to Decisive Point. I'm just really happy to be here again. It's always good to see you, Stephanie. So your most recent article makes a great point. Recruiting struggles are not new to the U.S. Army. In fact, you mentioned that today's recruitment crisis has four commonalities dating back to the Army's founding. Will you walk us through them? First, and perhaps the most important commonality, is that recruiting has been a perpetual problem for the armed forces, and particularly for the U.S. Army. The services have always struggled to recruit and retain the people they want to attract. It's tempting, and I'm a professor, so I know this, to blame today's youth or parents or politicians or wokeness. It's very emotionally satisfying. And it may be comforting to think, as I think we all do as we get older, back in the past, there was this constant influx of healthy, intelligent, patriotic young Americans just waiting to put on a uniform. But that's just a fantasy. The reality is that despite enormous efforts by dedicated soldiers, and I want to particularly single out dedicated recruiters, the Army has suffered almost a constant crisis in recruiting. My second point is that it's important to understand that current and past recruiting problems are less about numbers. You know, they're less about enough people trying to enlist, but an insufficient number of young Americans who the Army actually wants to enlist. The recruiting crisis is a qualitative shortfall, much more than a quantitative shortfall. You know, I'm sure that everybody's seen the depressing statistic that 77% of Americans between 17 and 24 could not enlist without a waiver due to moral or mental or physical or legal issues. That's a misleading statistic. The real question is how many of those remaining 23% have the necessary physical, mental, psychological makeup to be good soldiers. And it gets complicated because that minority of 17 to 24-year-olds who are the most intelligent, the most motivated, the most responsible, the most physically fit, all those other desirable characteristics that the Army wants, those are pretty rare. And I can say this as someone that has to teach them. The people that are most like that are the most attractive to employers and universities and thus have the most options. My third point is that a recruiting crisis is only a symptom of a larger personnel crisis. It's almost always accompanied by a retention crisis at both the non-commissioned officer and junior officer grades. Now, I don't have the data for the current years. They've been pretty quiet about releasing them. To give you a not untypical example, there was a recruiting crisis in 2007. Well, that was accompanied by a 49% shortage of senior captains. And I'm pretty sure an accompanying shortage of qualified senior non-commissioned officers. And these personnel shortages across the board, in turn, that recruits are often assigned to occupations or places that suit the Army's requirements, not what they believe they were promised when they signed up. And they often serve in skeleton units, and they often find themselves unable to train or to master the occupational skills they think they should be getting. And that tends to make them poor soldiers, and it tends to get them out. Now, my final point and I think this is very touchy, is the Army always faces a tension between recruiting soldiers for its immediate needs, and that's usually in the combat branches, and those for its future needs. 
which tend to be essential senior leadership, technical, and administrative positions. And too often, the tendency is to look at the total numbers for one year rather than study impact over time. But recruiters and personnel managers have to balance immediate and future needs. So what soldiers does the Army need today? What soldiers does it need in five or 10 years? Hypothetically, would a recruiting year that had 100% of enlistments be considered a success if all it filled were immediate needs and in three years, 99% of those enlistees left? Would that be a success? Would a recruiting year be considered a success if it filled only 75% of its immediate needs, but secured a solid core of technical leadership and administrative experts who remained in uniform for 20 or more years? That's the kind of problem that recruiters and personnel managers have to balance. And I think it's a disservice to blame them. And it's also a mistake to look at quick and easy statistics and say, well, we're not doing our job. When in many cases, you may be doing your job. You just don't know it until the future reveals just how good a job you did. How has the U.S. Army managed recruitment shortages in the past? One of the things I bring out that's sort of funny is this 1907 report, which is really the Army's first study of a recruitment crisis. And ironically, I made that available in 1999 to a team of officers at the Army War College who were asked by the then chief of staff to study that recruiting crisis. And they looked at that and said, well, these are the same problems we're having today. How did we fix them? And I said, well, the problem is that the Army can only do so much. Most of the essential factors encouraging or discouraging enlistment are completely outside of the Army's control, outside of all the armed forces control. I'm talking about unemployment levels among 17 to 24-year-olds, which I think right now are just slightly over 3%. Pretty well, anyone that's 17 to 24 that wants a job can get one. Grossly disproportional wages for equivalent occupations between the civilian and the military sectors. Talk about computer guys, electronics, things like that. Politicians cutting promised benefits, which has been a huge issue in the past and has happened far more times than Congress will ever admit. Inadequate housing was a huge issue in the late 1990s. When people complained about it, they were told that they weren't really you know, having proper spirit. These are all things that are really outside the Army's control. And so I think that's one of the first things to do is to sort of recognize that the Army can't be all it can be if it's not given the opportunity to do that. Now, it can go on a little bit about things it can do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that even if it does them, it can manage the recruitment. What lessons then can we take away from this historical perspective? The first lesson, and the reason I wrote the article, is trying to understand this in historical perspective. Try not to say, well, we have an immediate crisis. This has never occurred before. That's sort of a historian's job is to speak truth to power, to demythologize a lot of this. And I think that there's a tendency as you get older to get nostalgic about golden eras. I mean, I've heard a lot of retired people talk nostalgically about the 1980s and how great it was. And they sort of forget that the 1981-82 recession was the greatest single economic collapse since the Great Depression only matched later on by the 2007 one, which drove a lot of people into the service. It was also a period you know, when there were funds to modernize, to raise pay, to improve housing, and so forth. I've heard a lot of senior officers talk about pre-9-11 Army and about how good that was, you know, the Desert Storm Army. But they sort of forget that that Army was plagued by a recruitment crisis that was only saved by the post-9-11 jump in enlistments. 
It's important that people have a realistic view of the past, not to blame recruiters for a current crisis when, in fact, these problems haven't been fixed for 200 years. So here's my last point, and it's a silly point, I know, but it really makes a difference. I've read hundreds of oral histories and I've read hundreds of personal accounts. And I will tell you that one of the things that I constantly see when people leave is unnecessary harassment, unnecessary humiliations, unnecessarily being blamed for something. That's what leaders can do. Leaders can create a community. I talk about the difference between job fulfillment and occupational satisfaction. If I'm an electrician, I can be an electrician in the army or I can be an electrician civilian. I'm being quite happy. Job fulfillment comes from only being happy doing that job in a particular organization. I can only be happy as an electrician serving in the U.S. Army. That's who you want. And that is really something that I think people can make a real difference at. Ultimately, you know, physician, heal yourself. But for every bullying major who harasses a lieutenant and convinces that guy not to stay in, you got to keep a toxic leader and you got rid of a good one. That little communication is, I think, where the recruiting crisis both begins and it can end. I've seen it in teaching, and I think it's true in recruiting as well. We do have a few extra minutes if you have any concluding thoughts. I could just consider it a privilege to be a historian of the U.S. Army, to have met great leaders like Gordon Sullivan, Lord Narrow, and well, you know all my friends that I ran into at the Army War College and I still am dealing with. For me as a historian, it's just been great to be an outsider, but to be a part of that practitioner community. And I'm just really privileged to have been around the U.S. Army and get to study it. I have job fulfillment, if you want to call it that. Listeners, if you'd like to read the article, you can find it at press.armywarcollege.edu slash parameters. Look for volume 53, issue three. It was a pleasure talking with you today, Brian. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, you can find us on any major podcast platform. 